But God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship, coming to you this 13th of October, 2019, with our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel, The Truth of the Gospel. We're coming to you today. We're going to start a new series of lessons. For a while there, we were doing what the world believes about Jesus, what the church should believe and say about Jesus, and what Jesus says about himself. We're going to start a new series of lessons today. Uh, the name of the lesson today that we're going to start is Jesus is the Son of God. Hear and obey him. Jesus is the Son of God. Hear and obey him. Jesus is the Son of God. Hear and obey Him. Our principal scriptures are going to be Matthew 17, 1 through 13, Mark 9, 2 through 13, and Luke 9, 28 through 36. All three of these passages talk about the uh, transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus took James, John, and Peter up into a very high mountain and he was transfigured before them. And what that means is he took them up into a high mountain, the highest mountain in Israel, which is Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N, probably Mount Hermon. And he was transfigured before them, meaning they saw Jesus in his glory. They saw Jesus in his pre-existent glory. Remember before the word became flesh, it was the word of God. And they saw Jesus in his pre-existent glory. Remember when the word became flesh, Jesus never stopped being God, but he voluntarily hid his Shekinah glory and, and, uh, and, and he veiled it uh, in his flesh. He became man. Uh, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. It says, though Jesus uh, being God, he did not uh, think it a robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. Took on the likeness, took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess of things in heaven things on earth and things under the earth and, and every, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So uh, Jesus, the Bible says the word was made flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. So Jesus never stopped being God. We know he was God even from his birth because the Bible says let all the angels of God worship him when he brought the first begotten son into the world. And the Bible says when the wise men came from the east offering gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it says they worshiped him even as a child. At that time, Jesus would have been about two years old. And the wise men came offering gold, which, which, which represents uh, his royalty, his deity, frankincense, which uh, represents worship, that he's worthy of worship, and myrrh, which represents uh, his, um, his, his predicted, his prophesied suffering and death. Uh, for our sins and so Jesus never stopped being God there are some teachings out there to say he didn't become God until that's 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 heresy that's blasphemy he never stopped being God what he did was he voluntarily 
uh, laid aside his royal prerogative. He, he laid aside. I used the I used the um, example a couple of weeks ago. How there are some wealthy people, they don't go around looking like they're wealthy. There are some very wealthy people, and they'll drive a thirty-year-old car or truck, and, and and they'll dress like the rest of us dress. So you don't know they're wealthy. It doesn't mean they're not wealthy. Now some people who are wealthy, they they're gonna let you know they're wealthy. They, they're gonna they're gonna bling bling, etc. And that's their money. It's their right to do that if that's what they want to do. But there are some people who are very wealthy, but you wouldn't know it just by looking at them. And so that, that I use that analogy to say when Jesus. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says in Isaiah, we looked upon him. There was no beauty that we should desire him. When we looked at Jesus, if you had been there uh, 2,000 years ago, there was no beauty that you would have desired him. There, he did not stand out from the rest of the crowd. He was Jesus, um, the carpenter from Nazareth. Can anything good thing come out of Nazareth, uh, I believe Nathaniel said. So he, he, he voluntarily veiled his uh, Shekinah glory. There was one time when he was about to go to the cross, when they were about to crucify him, where Jesus said, and, and right here, he, he showed what he could do. So when Paul said in Philippians, being found in fashion, that, that it, says, it says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Jesus, though being God, he did not use that to his advantage. And if, right before he was crucified, he said something very um, important. I believe it, you'll find it in Matthew 27, either in 27 or at the end of 26. He said, do you, not, do you not know that if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels? See, right there, he's saying, I could do such and such. I could call 12 legions of angels so that I would not... Uh, have to endure this, this being the agonizing death at Calvary's cruel cross. He said, I could call 12 legions of angels. Think it, think, 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 think it not, let, let I tell you what, let me read it to you, because I'm, I'm misquoting it, etc. But he's, I know he said it at the end of Matthew, so I'm going to look in Matthew. Uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, y'all, y'all think y'all, he said right here, in Matthew 26, Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. I'm going to start it. It's verse 52. Matthew 26, 52. But Jesus said to them, put your sword in its place. Because remember, Peter pulled out his razor and cut the guy's ear off. And Jesus said, put your sword in its place. I, I must do this to fulfill scripture. Then he says in verse 52, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than, he says more than, 12 legions of angels. A Roman legion, legion was almost 7,000 people. So Jesus said, if I wanted to, my father would provide me with more than 84,000 angels. And one angel equals, the strength of one angel equals millions of men. Right, so we're not equating one angel, one man. The strength of, and the might and, and, and the power of one angel, you know, equals millions of men. So he says, do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father? 
and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels, a legion again being almost, uh, being almost 7,000 men. He says more than 12, so 12 times 7 is 84. So innumerable angels. He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. But then he said, that, but, but how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So Jesus was saying, right there, he was saying, I could do such and such. So when he came to the earth and walked among men as a man, but born of a virgin, not born uh, in sin, but born by the power of the Holy Spirit through the welcome womb of Mary, his mother, he laid aside his divine prerogative. He did not lay aside his, his divinity. He did not lay aside his deity, but he laid aside the outward trappings. That's why I use the analogy of the, the wealth. There are some wealthy people, if you look at them, they're driving a, this is 2019, they're driving a 1998 Chevrolet or old Mercedes. If they got a Mercedes, they might be driving an old Mercedes that's got 500,000 miles on it. And I've, I've owned several Mercedes. If you take care of a Mercedes, it can give you four or 500,000 miles. I bought a Mercedes years ago at 200,000, and then I put another 250 on it. Then I sold it to somebody. Well, actually, I didn't sell it. I gave it away. I gave it away to somebody else. So a Mercedes Benz can give you four or 5,000, 100,000 miles. So some, there are some wealthy people, they don't show you the outward trappings of their wealth. I gave the analogy of... Um, uh, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers who recently died, but he still lived in the house where he grew up. He's the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the premier uh, football franchises of the National Football League. But he, he didn't live, you know, he didn't live in the palace and all that. It was his right to do so. It's his money. But he lived in the house that he grew up in because his dad had owned the team, uh, Art Rooney, and then this was Art Rooney Jr., uh, another example, there's, some, there's another example, and it, it, it escapes me right now. Oh, um, uh, Warren Buffett. I believe Warren Buffett still lives in the house that he grew up in. Now, Warren, Warren Buffett is a gazillionaire, <laughs> but he still lives in the house that he grew up in. So there are, there, are, there are people who are wealthy, but they don't flaunt their wealth. And again, if you're wealthy, if you want to have a ring on every finger, a diamond ring and a, a, a gold choke chain, it's your money, that's fine. But there are some people who don't want the outward trappings for security reasons, etc. That, that tracks a lot of negative um, 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 company, etc. I use that, I say that to say that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God. And another translation says, Jesus, being in the form of God, did not use that to his advantage. So when Jesus uh, walked uh, the, the dusty streets of Galilee, etc., uh, he walked. He didn't, he didn't hover above the ground and have angels carry him. He walked and became tired, showed up at the well where the woman was in John chapter 4, etc. He slept. Even though the Bible says, he that keeps Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers, but when God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, he went all the way with it. He slept. He was in the bottom of the ship when the storm arose and the disciples said, Lord, uh, save us lest we perish, etc. So Jesus allowed, though he is God, he allowed the human limitations of man to control his life for about 33 years. But he never stopped being God. He just gave up the outward royal splendor prerogatives. Uh, it, it'll be like the president of the United States. No matter where he goes, he's the president. 
Now, when he stands at that podium, it'll say seal of the president of the United States. But if he walks 100 feet away from it, he's still the president. He's the, he, he doesn't stop being the president because you don't see the seal of the... I'm sure when he's in the bed, it doesn't say seal of the... Well, it might <laughs> say seal of the president on his sheets, but then again, it might. All right. My point is, when Jesus took James, John, and Peter, he didn't take all the disciples. He certainly, he certainly didn't take Judas. He didn't take all the disciples, all 12 apostles. He took James, John, and Peter for his own reason, because they were to be foundational apostles. James, John, and Peter. He took them up to the Mount of Transfiguration. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. It's probably Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N, the highest peak in, in Israel. It was a secluded place. It was the highest peak. So he took them to the top of Mount Hermon, and the Bible says in Matthew 17, which is where we're going to start, says he was transfigured before them. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you just for the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your dear son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son and he volunteered to die on the cross for our sins. We bless you and we praise you and we thank you through Jesus, your holy son. I pray that you'll bless your people, those who are saved already, Lord, strengthen them, encourage them, bless them, Lord, help them to draw closer to you that you may draw closer to them. Oh God, keep them, Lord, from hurt, harm, and danger. Only, Lord, allow them to go through the trials that will glorify you. Lord, only allow them to go through the tribulations that will be, bring glory to you and that will form the image of your dear son Jesus in their lives. Now, of course, I pray that same thing for me, Lord God. Blessed be your name forever. I pray that you'll bless your people in every way possible. If anybody's listening, Lord, who is not saved, I pray that you will open the eyes of their understanding, that you will save them that you will call them out of darkness into your marvelous light like you did to me, Lord, for we cannot be saved unless you show us grace and mercy, for you said you will have mercy upon whom you will have mercy and you will show grace to whomever you will show grace. So it is of you, God. It is not us. It is not of the preacher. It is not of the listener. It is not of him who willeth nor of him who uh, runneth, but of you, Lord, who calleth. And I pray that you will call those out of darkness into your marvelous light. Show them mercy, Lord. Show them favor by Jesus Christ as that great day of his appearing in the, in the, in the sky for the church draws closer and closer. Amen and amen. So we're going to start in Matthew 17. Again, we're starting a new series today. Jesus is the Son, capital S-O-N. Jesus is the Son of God. Hear and obey him. Jesus is the Son of God. Hear and obey him. So we're going to start in Matthew 17. Now after six days, or about a week, Luke says about eight days, so it's about a week. Now after six days, Mark says the same thing. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. So, so they saw his glory. We beheld his glory, John said, John 1 and 14. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So every time Jesus did something, even on earth, they beheld his glory. But right here, they beheld his Shekinah glory. Jesus doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. The Bible says Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. That's very important that we see that. Jesus is, the in, Jesus is the visible manifestation 
because no man has seen God at any time. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and that's going to have to be sufficient until you get to heaven. Once you get to heaven, you're going to see the Father. Right now, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus, the Bible says, is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. So, 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 um, um, it says here, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Oh, I was going to say that um, Jesus doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon has no light of its own. The, the moon reflects the light of the sun. As a matter of fact, tonight there's supposed to be what's called a hunter's moon. I believe that's that real big moon you see. It kind of scary. It looks real big, like almost like a big planet or something. And it's supposed to be in the sky tonight. This is Sunday, the 13th of October. And it's supposed to be a hunter's moon tonight. The moon reflects the light of the sun. No sun, no... You wouldn't be able to see the moon except for the light of the sun reflecting on it. If you don't believe that, there are times during the day you can see the moon in the sky. It's, it's kind of hard to see against the blue sky. But the moon has no light of its own. It needs the light of the sun. Just like we have no light of our own. We reflect the light of God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. But it's not our light. We reflect the light of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is the glory of God. He doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God because he is God. He's the Shekinah glory. He's Yeshua Hamashiach. He is Joshua the Messiah. He is the glory of God. Hallelujah. So now after six days, Jesus took um, Peter, James, and John his brother, he led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Hallelujah. And his clothes became as white as the light. They're seeing the glory, right? And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Hallelujah. Moses showed up. Elijah showed up. The lawgiver and, the, and, the, and the, the one who represents the prophets of old, they both showed up talking with Jesus. Peter saw this and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter meant well. In a certain way, I don't know if he was trying to equate Jesus with um, Moses and Elijah. I don't know because Jesus had, Peter had already uh, uh, confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He had already confessed that in Matthew 16. He had already confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. So he wasn't trying to, you know, bring down Jesus or anything. But he, he was, he was, I believe he meant well. There are some who suggested he thought that Jesus was about to fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles, etc. But that's another argument for another day. Let's build three tabernacles. Peter being a preacher, you know, preachers always want to build churches, right? Let's, let's build a church, right? Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He meant well, but while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved, that's my best voice of, of God. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased, hear him. Now that's significant. 
because the father didn't say, hear them. This is Moses, this is Elijah, and this is my son Jesus. Hear them. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye. The, the King James says, hear ye. Hear ye him. I'm, I'm looking at the new King James here. It takes out all the ye, thee, thou's. It says, hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, which normally happens when men are in the presence of God. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But there's a man who wants to um, deliver us from all of our fears, and his name is Jesus. But Jesus came and touched them. We saw him touch John on the Isle of Patmos. When John saw the glorified Christ, he fell on his face in fear, and Jesus laid his right hand on him and said, Fear not, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And right now, John is here at the Mount of Transfiguration, and he and Peter and James they fall on their faces in fear. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, Moses and Elijah had appeared. They had gone back to wherever they are. They're in heaven. They're in paradise. They're in Abraham's bosom. We know they're in a good place. They're not, you know, in hell or anything like that. They're in a good place. That's the name of a TV show, wasn't it? The Good Place. Well, Moses and Elijah are awaiting the day of the resurrection of the just. So I don't know if they're in Abraham's bosom, but I do know they're in paradise there. They're in heaven itself. We know they're in the place where the Lord keeps the just until the day of the resurrection. All right. They're not the church. They're, they're, they're the Old Testament saints. But, but nevertheless, the Lord has them in a place awaiting the day of the resurrection of the just. All right. Remember, Elijah never died. Moses died. Nobody knew where he was buried, but Moses did die. He died, I believe, at Mount Nebo. He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because he didn't glorify God, I believe, at the waters of Meribah, I believe it was. Please forgive my Old Testament lack of knowledge here. Um, but Elijah never died. He went to heaven. The Bible says he went to heaven in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. All right, so let's assume that Moses and Elijah are in heaven uh, waiting for the great day of the resurrection. All right. So when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's significant because Moses and Elijah, they came and they spoke with Jesus. And they left. Moses and Elijah, they point to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses and Elijah. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. He said it himself. I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. I didn't, I didn't come to destroy the law of the prophets, I believe he said. I came to fulfill the law of the prophets, which he does. If you look at Romans 3 and 21, it says the righteousness of God without the law and the prophets is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Paul makes that brilliant argument in Romans. You got, you got to read the book of Romans. As a Christian, you must read the book of Romans. You have to. You must, I'm not inviting you to dinner at my house until you read the book of Romans. <laughs> You've got to read the book of Romans because it is, it is like the Bible within the Bible uh, of, the, of the great doctrine of justification by faith. So now as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one. The vision they just had up in Mount um, Hermon. Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is risen from the dead, which they didn't. But they did talk about it later after Jesus had been raised from the dead. Peter talked about it in 2 Peter chapter 1 at the end of the chapter. I'll read it to you in a few minutes. And John said, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, John, at least in part, was talking about this transfiguration experience. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes, the scribes were like lawyers who were experts supposedly in interpreting the Bible, the, uh, the Jewish Bible at this time. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. Uh, Malachi had said that Elijah would come before the great and, and dreadful day of the Lord. He says, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist did come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. His ministry was similar to that of Elijah. Even his clothing, the, the, the camel's hair, and etc. He, he was what we would call today an ascetic you know, living in the wilderness, not living in luxury, a prophet living in luxury, etc. And so John the Baptist was at least a partial fulfillment of, of the return of Elijah. There are some who say um, that Elijah will return again. If you read Revelation chapter 11, there are two witnesses who come to the earth in the last days during the during the tribulation period. There are two witnesses uh, who come to the earth. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. Revelation chapter 11. For some reason... People won't read the book of Revelation, and if you're a believer, you've got to read the book of Revelation because it's it's our it's our it's, it, it announces our victory in Christ. But let me show you another place where Elijah is thought to um, uh, appear uh, in in the end times. This is Revelation 11. John says John the Apostle, who wrote the Revelation from the Isle of Patmos, because he had been John had been dumped onto the Isle of Patmos by the Roman Emperor uh, Domitian. John said, I was there for, he, he wasn't there because they were about to give him a, a apostle's appreciation. He was dumped there by the Romans for his, for, he said, I was there for preaching Jesus Christ. Because I was not preaching Caesar, I was not pinching incense to Caesar. I was telling people to live for Jesus Christ. I was, John said, I was telling people that if you, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're in trouble. But if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. John said, I, I was dumped on the Isle of Patmos which was like a windy, a windy, uh, it was a, it was a windswept rocky island about 30 miles off the coast in the Aegean Sea. And so John is dumped there. While there, remember you, you can put a man or a woman in prison, but you cannot imprison, you cannot stop the Holy Spirit from revealing himself uh, to that person. Um, we get letter from the Birmingham jail while Martin Luther King is in jail, right? So we get the book of the Revelation while John is on the Isle of Patmos, right? So John says, in, in Revelation 11, then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, which is three and a half years. And here's where we pick up where Elijah might appear. We don't know if this is Elijah. We, you know, some say Moses and Elijah. Some say these two individuals are going to be um, Elijah and Enoch. If you go back to Genesis, because these are the only two individuals who never died. Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God and God took him. So he never physically died, even after God pronounced the curse of death. When Adam and Eve sinned, the curse of death came upon mankind, but Enoch never died. And, Mo and Elijah never died. So there are some who say Enoch and Elijah will be these two individuals who will come back to earth uh, in Revelation chapter 11 during the Great Tribulation. 
I don't know, we don't know. Some say Moses and Elijah, some say Enoch and Elijah because the, these individuals never died, right? It could be those two individuals, it could, it could be Moses and Elijah, it could be Enoch and Elijah, it could be two individuals we've never heard of, right? But look at here in verse 3 of Revelation 11. I will give power to my two witnesses. This is the Lord speaking. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. You'd have to read the prophet Zechariah to understand that. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These two prophets, if you will, have power to shut heaven. That's why some people think Elijah is going to be one of them. Because remember, if you go back to the um, Old Testament, to 1 Kings, Elijah said, I'm the man. <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm the big man on campus. It's not going to rain until I say so. And he was right. Elijah prayed and it did not rain until he prayed again. So Elijah said, I'm the BMOC around here. I'm the big man on campus, not all the Baal prophets who eat at Jezebel's table. So these prophets also, God gave them that same power. I will give power to my two witnesses. They will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Now, listen to this again. These, meaning these two prophets, these have power to shut heaven. And that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And that's why many people believe that Elijah will be at least one of these individuals. No rain will fall in the days of their prophecy. And they will have power over waters to turn them to blood. Ah, who does that sound like? Then Moses. Remember Moses was in Egypt and God sent 10 plagues against Pharaoh. Right? And one of the plagues was turning water to blood. All the water turned to blood. In the whole land of Egypt, water turned to blood. You can't, you know, you, if you don't have water, you can live weeks and weeks without food. You can. People who fast, you know, sometimes go 40 days or longer without food. You can live much longer without food than you can without water. You, you got to have water, especially in a dry, arid uh, um, land like, like the what we call the Middle East or here in, in the South where it's very humid. You got to have water. Otherwise, you'll have kidney failure, etc. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood. So we have, we have, we have these prophets who have the power to turn water to blood and to shut shut the heavens up that it not rain. So that's why many people think Moses and Elijah. They could be right. They could be wrong. We don't know. Just because just because God gave that power to Moses and Elijah doesn't mean that he, that he can't give that power to two more prophets in the future that we've never heard of. We don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Even great scholars of the bible they you know and most of them are honest they'll say we don't know we're not sure but we think it's moses and elijah right all right these have power to shut heaven so that no no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they will have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire 
These, these are going to be two bad. These two prophets are going to be two bad mamma jammers. And they're going to fight against the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to try to kill them. And guess what? The Antichrist is going to eventually, as we'll read in these next verses, the Antichrist is going to eventually kill them. So it says here in verse 7 in Revelation 11, when they finish their testimony, their preaching, their prophetic ministry, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them. You hear that? And overcome them and kill them. So these two prophets will eventually be killed. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom. Not the, not the actual Sodom and Gomorrah, because those cities were destroyed uh, many years ago. But spiritually, the city is called Sodom. This city here is called Sodom. And Egypt, listen, where also our Lord was crucified. So we know that city is Jerusalem. Let me read that again. And their dead bodies, these two prophets, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually is called Sodom. You can call any wicked city spiritually Sodom. San Francisco, Atlanta, New York, Chicago, right? You, you can call any wicked city Sodom or Gomorrah because Sodom and Gomorrah represent uh, fornication, immorality, uh, all kinds of sin and rebellion against God. So John makes the point, this city is spiritually called Sodom because the actual Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by the angels of the Lord back, you know, a long time ago when, when, when Lot and his wife escaped, etc. This, this city is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So that hint right there tells you, oh, this is Jerusalem, because he was crucified right outside of Jerusalem. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. People are going to rejoice that these two men of God have been killed by the Antichrist. Why are people going to rejoice? Because the people who are rejoicing are people who didn't want to hear the truth from these two prophets. And so wicked people rejoice when righteous people. There were people when Martin Luther King was shot and killed. There were people who rejoiced and they were glad. They were glad. They were glad. They, they, oh, we finally got that troublemaker. Oh, he's gone. Right, they, they were glad. One woman even commented, an old white woman commented, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, she, she made the comment. She said, uh, you know, I, I hope now that a, a nice, you know, peaceful colored man would come along. See what I'm saying? Because people don't want to hear the truth. And these two prophets are going to torment the wicked through their ministry, of the, through their prophecy of, of shutting up the heaven from rain. Uh, and, and sending plagues upon the earth, whether it's Moses and Elijah, Moses and Enoch, Enoch and Elijah, whoever it is, these two prophets sent by God, the Antichrist will kill them. So the world was happy that they were dead. The world is going to make merry. You know, watch this part right here. And they will send gifts to one another. Now you'd have thought that, you'd have said 50 years ago, how they going, how's the world going to send gifts to one another? You would have said that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. How can the world be glad that these two prophets are, you know, the world is going to be glad these two prophets are dead. Because these prophets, through their ministry, they, 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 they tormented the wicked through their words, their plagues. They, they, they shut up the heaven from raining. Uh, they, 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 they turned water to blood. They had all the power that God had invested in Moses, Elijah, and, and other prophets and apostles, right? And now the Antichrist kills these two prophets. 
and people rejoice. The world rejoices, not just people in one little enclave. The world rejoices and they begin to send gifts to one another. And again, if you had read this passage 50 years ago in 1949, 59, you would have said, how, how could they send gifts to one another? But now, look at the age we're living in right now. I can, I can, I can cash out. <laughs> I can, when, when, when the man cuts my grass, because I ain't cutting grass anymore. I'm, I'm not just going, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, I'm not doing it. Somebody stole my lawnmower some years ago, and I never bought another one. I just pay somebody to cut it. But when the man cuts my grass, he doesn't have cash out. I, I, I zell him. <laughs> zell, right? I will zell you. Hey, please cut, please cut my grass and, and trim the hedges at such a, at my address. I will zell you. I'm, I made it into a verb, right? You know how we make nouns into verbs? I will zell you the money. So he cuts my grass, and I zell him the money. He doesn't have cash out for his own reason. I zell him the money. So I'm saying that to say it is now you, you can I could send somebody I could cash up. I'm in I'm in the United States. I'm in Georgia. I could cash up somebody in Georgia, that Georgia that's uh, over there near Russia. I could cash up somebody right now. If I knew somebody in, in Georgia, that 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 country over near Russia, and if I knew somebody and I wanted to cash up, I could cash up that I could zell that person. I'm making zell a verb here. I could zell that person. So the, the, the possibility of sending gifts by electronic transmission, right? I'm talking about Cash App and Zelle. I'm not even mentioning all the other. I think there are a few more that I don't know about. But I use Cash App, and then the guy who does my lawn, um, he, for some reason, he, he doesn't do Cash App. So I said, okay, I'll set up a Zelle account because he said, okay, Zelle me. So I, so I, I Zelle him. So these people sent gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. The Antichrist killed the prophets. Ah, but, but the story's not over. Revelation 11, 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God. Oh, oh people in trouble. The breath of life from God entered them, these two prophets that the Antichrist had killed. And they stood on their feet. And great fear fell on those who had been zelling each other and cash up and oh these prophets are dead. Oh good, we're so glad because we couldn't stand those preachers. Those preachers are dead. We couldn't stand them. They kept preaching all that Jesus and God is gonna, you know, get us and they were turning water to blood and it it ain't rained in, in three years and, and uh, they're dead. We're glad about it. Oh, but after three and a half days the breath of life from God. Hallelujah. Entered them, and they stood on their feet. Glory to the Lamb of God. You can't beat God's program, no matter how hard you try, right? And great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven, these two prophets. Ascended to heaven, glory to God. And their enemies saw them ascend to heaven. Imagine that. The Antichrist had killed them. The world had rejoiced. The world had sent gifts to each other through Zelle or Cash App or Google App or whatever the case may be. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. That was, that was Revelation chapter 11. 
back to the transfiguration of Jesus. I know I got a little bit off track there. All right, back to the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus was transfigured. And he told, and when they were coming down from the mountain, he said, okay, don't tell anybody about this vision until I've been raised from the dead. And then once he was raised from the dead and walked the earth for 40 days and ascended back to heaven, when Peter wrote his epistles, in his first epistle, if you look at the end of chapter one, he talks about how Jesus, uh, how they went to the holy mount. Peter said, we have a sure word of prophecy. We also have the experience of going to the holy mountain uh, with Jesus. So uh, the lesson there is never just depend on your experiences. Always match your experiences with the word of God. That's very important because there are many people who want to live on their experiences. But if those experiences don't match the word of God, it can be problematic. L let me read that to you because that's very important. And then I'll spend a few more minutes on this lesson and then I'll close. Listen to what Peter said here. He's, he's going to talk about the experience we had at the top of Mount Transfiguration, Mount Hermon, if you will. But he said, we also have a sure word of prophecy. So don't just depend on your, your, your prophetic experiences. You go to a prophetic conference or you know somebody with the gift of prophecy, etc. Because there are people in the world today who have those gifts. Never just depend on your experiences. Always make sure your experiences in the prophetic realm. Some of you belong to uh, denominations that still operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, etc. Prophecy, word of knowledge, gift, tongues, etc. Always make sure your experiences match God's word. Because if they don't, then, then there's something wrong. But notice what Peter said here. I'm, I'm, I'm in his second epistle, chapter 1. Peter said... Um, we did not follow cunningly devised fables because he's going to talk in, in second Peter about false teachers, false prophets. He said, we did not cunningly, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he's going to talk about the transfiguration experience. Remember, Jesus said, don't say anything until I've been raised from the dead. And now he's been raised from the dead. He's been, he's been risen some years. He's gone back to sit at the right hand of the father on high. And now Peter's about to be executed himself. He's about to be martyred for the gospel. Tradition says he was crucified upside down. But we know that he was martyred for the gospel about the same time Paul was. They both were martyred around the same time, around 68 AD, under Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero. Peter said, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, meaning that the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son, talking about Jesus, in whom I am well pleased. Peter said, we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He doesn't identify the mountain, but sound scholars say that it's probably Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Confirm your experiences with God with God's word. Don't, don't just go on some experience that made you feel good and made the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Don't do that. Cause there, there are a lot of things. A good movie can make your hair, a good movie can make your hair stand up on the back of your neck. A good experience in life can make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. You need, you need the, you need the experiences confirmed by God's word. 
So Peter says, uh, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to take heed to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture, this is very important. No, and, and this ties into Jesus is the son of God. Hear him and obey him. You can't obey the Lord if you don't know his word. You can't. You cannot obey. You, you cannot obey on your job if you don't know what the directives are. You know, every year we have to go through sexual harassment training and all that. You, you have to go through that. And that's the same stuff every year. They'll show these video clips of these little skits where, you know, uh, somebody's being sexually harassed, etc. You, you, you cannot obey the directives if you don't know what the directives are. Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. The scripture is, he's saying the scripture is not based on man's opinion, especially one man's opinion. If you have a revel, if you think you have a revelation about scripture and you're the only one who has it in the world, you're, you're probably wrong. You, I'm probably wrong. If you got a, if you believe you got a revelation about the Bible and you're the only one, you're the only one that God told that out of seven billion people. No, that's how cults get started, etc. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke. That's how we have the Bible. Holy men of God spoke. As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But Peter is saying here, in essence, he's saying we have the experience with Jesus and we have a sure word of prophecy. And he said it's not based on our private interpretation because the word of God cannot be based on private interpretation. One of the worst things you can say at a Bible study, and this is going to upset some of you. One of the worst things you can say at a Bible study is, my opinion is. One of the worst things that, that and as a teacher, you know, well, what do you think of this? One of the worst things you can say when you're studying the Bible is, my opinion about this is. The Bible is not based on my opinion. The Bible is not based on our opinion, y'all. It's based on sound, biblical interpretation, what we call hermeneutics and exegesis, etc., we cannot base the Bible on our on our interpretation, on our feelings. We, we, we can't. I know we'd like to, but we can't because that's what leads us into all kind of myths and troubles, etc. All right. So they have this experience with Jesus. He's transfigured before them. The Shekinah glory. Jesus, Jesus gives them a glimpse of his glory. He says, look, boys, this is how we're going to be in glory. So. So the way Jesus was looking there on the Mount of Transfiguration is the way you're going to look with Jesus in glory. The way Jesus looked on the Mount of Transfiguration is the way I'm going to look in glory. Not saying we're going to be God because we're not. Not saying we're going to be gods because we're not. But we're going to have a glorified resurrection body. So when Jesus took him to the Mount of Transfiguration and he was glorified, he was, he was, he was, uh, he was glorified his face shone as the sun. You know, they his clothes became white, like a, like the glistening light. They saw his Shekinah glory that had been up to that time had been veiled in his flesh. Right, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we and John said, "For we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." 
So when I say Jesus is the son of God, that's the equivalent of saying Jesus is God. The Jews understood that. Because when Jesus said, I'm the son of God, they tried to kill him. Glory <laughs> to the Lamb of God. They tried to kill him. When Jesus went to the synagogue, picked up the, and the minister in the synagogue, great, gave him the scroll of the book of Isaiah. Jesus took the scroll, you know, not like the book we have today. It would have been a scroll that you unroll, that you can roll up and unroll. Jesus took the scroll and he found where it was written. And you've, you've heard this scripture before. He found what we today call Isaiah 61. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you from Luke. And Jesus said, Jesus read, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And, and they were good. They were good. They, they were okay. The people in the synagogue, the Jewish house of worship, they were, they were nodding their head. You know, I'm sure they had a little, I'm sure the synagogue had an amen corner, you know. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Okay. To proclaim liberty to the captives. All right. And recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the Lord stopped. He didn't read the next part of that verse because the next part of that verse says, and the day of vengeance of our God. But the Lord, did, he said it wasn't appropriate to read that at that time. But notice what he did next. I'm in Luke chapter four. Then Jesus closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, to the minister, and sat down. And, all, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. It's about to get a little rough here. These people were sitting in the synagogue. Imagine you're sitting in your church on a Sunday morning or whenever you go to church. And Jesus said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled. Oh, oh boy, it's about to get rough. Today this scripture is fulfilled. He's saying, what he's saying is, I'm man. Isaiah's talking about me. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the man. I'm the BMOC that Isaiah was talking about. I'm the big man on campus. Jesus said in Revelation, all the churches are going to know. When I do this, such and such, all the churches are going to know. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, ain't that Joseph boy? Wait a minute. Ain't that Joseph's son, the carpenter? Joseph, I'm... Joseph, fix my house, fix my door. Ain't that Joseph's boy? See, they saw Jesus in the flesh, right? Jesus said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, now this is what's going to make them mad. This is what's going to make them mad. I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was healed, cleansed, except Naaman the Syrian. Jesus was saying that God, in those days of those famines, etc., in the days of those lepers, that God healed non-Jews. 
Naaman was a Syrian. This other woman was a widow of Sidon. And when he said that, they spazzed out in the synagogue. What? Because Jesus was saying that God healed or dealt with or showed mercy upon or grace upon non-Jews. It says here in verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, re replace the word synagogue with church. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Now they were sitting in the synagogue. They were sitting in church. Y'all church. <laughs> Glory to God. When they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They rose up. They thrust Jesus out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was. They were about to throw Jesus off the hill. They were about to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They were just sitting in the synagogue singing, you know, good, nice Jewish hymns. And then Jesus got up and read the scripture and said that I am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of, of the spirit of the Lord is upon me, etc. And then, then when he, and then when he talked about God healing certain people in the days of Elijah and Elisha, and that God healed nine and 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 had mercy upon nine Jews, oh, the Bible says they were filled with wrath. They took Jesus to the brow of the hill. They were going to throw him off the cliff. The Bible says, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Because you couldn't kill Jesus until his time to die on the cross was fulfilled. You couldn't. I don't care if you put a, you could put a 12-gauge shotgun to Jesus' head. You weren't going to kill him until Calvary. Because in the full, God is going to always achieve his fullness of time. Because he's God. He's not going to allow man to, to uh, shortcut, to short-circuit, if you will, his fullness of time. All right. Having said that. I'm going to close by saying this, and then we'll talk again on Friday, Lord willing, about Jesus is the Son of God. Hear and obey him. The Bible says that Jesus is the Amen. He says that in Revelation. Now, what does that mean? Jesus being the Amen means that's it. Because in the, in, in the Bible, um, Amen means that's it. <laughs> amen means that's it. The Bible says Jesus is the amen. Jesus said it himself. He said it in the Revelation. Let me show you where he said it. Then I'm going to I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes and then I'm going to close. All right? In the in in the Revelation he spoke to seven churches. And we talked about those seven churches when we talked about uh our last lesson which is what does the world say about Jesus? What does he say about himself? What should the church say? We went through all the seven churches in Revelation and to, and to each of the church Jesus said something about himself, something about his, his attributes, who he is. And to the last church, to the Laodiceans, which was church number seven, in Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. Jesus is the amen of God. What does that mean, preacher, teacher? Jesus being the amen means that's it. Jesus is the final revelation of God. That's it. There's no revelation after Jesus. And any revelation that contradicts who he is, is wrong. He's the amen. Amen means that's it. Let the church say amen. That's it. It's kind of like I use the analogy when we were children, when we would say something and my father would say, well, what did I say? 
When my father said, what did I say? That was it. That was it. You, you, did, you didn't, you didn't, uh, you, you, did, you didn't argue with my father. As imperfect and flawed as he was, as I'm sure you have been as a parent and as your parents were. You didn't, you didn't, when my father said, what did I say? That was like, amen. That was it. That was it. You, you, you didn't fuss with my, you know, like a lot of kids today, they want to fuss with their parents and their parents want to be their best friend. When my father said, what did I say? That meant discussion is over. And that, guess what? Discussion was over. So when Jesus says he's the amen of God, he's saying, that's it. Now, I'm going to give you a scripture that's going to bear witness with that, and then we'll close. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Remember Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Samuel. God spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Do you hear that? Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That's it. Anybody who's writing a new Bible today, another testament of Jesus Christ, a new revelation of Jesus Christ, another. No, that's it. Jesus says, I am the amen. Jesus also said to that church at Laodicea, I'm the faithful and true witness. Meaning anything that Jesus said is faithful and is true. And anything that contradicts what he said is a satanic lie. Now, take that for politically correct. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And because he's heir of all things, guess what? You are a joint heir. The Bible says in Romans 8, we're joint heirs with God, with Christ. Jesus is the heir of all things. We are joint heirs with him. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. Watch this. It says, Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Go back to the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Jesus is the Shekinah glory of God. Hallelujah. He's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. No man has seen. When Stephen was about to be stoned in Acts chapter 7, the end of Acts chapter 7, he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He didn't see the Father. He saw Jesus Standing up on the right hand of God. Jesus, Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. It says Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. All things are being held together now. Not just because of molecules and atoms and ions and positive and negative. They're being upheld by the word of God. By the word of his power. As long as God wants this universe to be held together, it'll be held together. But one day, the Bible says the earth will melt with fervent heat. That'll be because the word of God will decree it to be so. 
by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, Jesus purged our sins by himself at Calvary's cruel cross. See, there, there are a lot of things the Lord um, allows us to help him to do. We are co-laborers with God. But there are some things the Bible says the Lord does by himself. The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. It didn't say the Lord and Moses and Elijah. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice.